Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. We are creatures of habit. We often learn things the hard way. Lessons learned the hard way are the ones that often stick with us the most. We never forget the story. Even from our youth, we must learn to ask for help. Because if we don't, most often, going it alone, we struggle with more and more difficulties. The psalmist David learned things the hard way. When he kept silent, that is, when he did not confess his sins, his strength was taken away from him, since all good things that he once stood upon fell away, as he covered one sin up with another and yet another, until the guilt was all too much to bear, as God's hand pressed harder and harder upon him. God's hand falls heavy upon us Christians because he does not desire to cast us off and away forever, as Jeremiah writes in Lamentations. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. God's impressing of the law upon our hearts when his hand comes heavy down upon us and our minds are filled with guilt over what we have done by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is to move us towards contrition. That is sorrow and terror over our sins. But it is with a beautiful purpose. It is in order that we return to God who blesses us with forgiveness. If you keep silent, you will be like David. You will waste away. Your vitality will dry up. Your sins will eat you up. The amount of work and effort that it takes to conceal your sins is truly extremely tireless or tiresome. Because it is not just one sin, is it? To hide one sin, you must commit another. And to hide those two, you must again commit more. And in reality, you then begin to ask yourself, is it really even worth hiding them any longer? Who are you trying to hide them from? The Lord knows your sins and the guilt and the shame which comes from confessing them. That was the reason Christ got went the way of the cross. It was God who has taken those things, your guilt, your shame, your sin, to the cross and died. He took all of it. As the scriptures proclaim, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. God does not say that the one who confesses will be damned. God says that the one who confesses will be called blessed. Still, though, the promise remains that the Lord will cover iniquity and count us as the blessed ones. And yet still people go the hard way. 
They labor trying to do good works to atone or make right their mistakes. Why will they not just openly confess them to the Lord? They tirelessly weary themselves in vain, for only the blood of Christ atones for our sins, and only his death takes away our guilt and shame. If you are working to atone for your sins, if that is a description of your life, then you have wearied yourself in all the wrong ways and have followed a most hard and bitter path that is not only physically debilitating, but it is also spiritually and emotionally as well. If we keep silent and by the spirit of deceit lie, then it is God's way which we have not acknowledged, and it is his Son, the Son of Righteousness, who has not yet risen upon us. A full confession of guilt and an unreserved plea for pardon are needed if there is to be an escape from the consequences of sinning against the Lord. And since Christ has already full atonement made for our transgressions, we can be confident that our deliverance from our sins and transgressions is immediate. And it is just as certain as if it had already come to pass, as we read, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Come out from the way of silence, the way of sorrows, the way of bitterness, the way of weariness, and enter into the peaceful rest and the joy of the Lord, for he will forgive your sins. I will, if I be lifted up, draw all men unto myself. With one arm opened and extended toward all those who were called the children of God, the nation of Israel, and to the other arm stretched out toward all the nations of the world, all those called Gentiles, Christ our Lord died. It is said that only on the cross does a man die with outstretched arms. The death of the Lord on the cross is the ransom for all our sins, for the sins of the whole world. Christ, with arms stretched out, with nails piercing his hands and his feet, with a crown of thorn, thorns on his head, was lifted up. Why was he lifted up? Why did he suffer in this way and not some other, as Caiaphas prophesied? Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. In no other way was it expedient for us. The Lord offered himself for our sakes, the one good and supreme death of all time and for all the world. He came to take our curse of sin, which lay crushing us to death. He had to take it, and he suffered an accursed death, 
as it is written, cursed is everyone who dies on a tree. You and I did not crucify Christ. We did not drive the spear into his side. Our hands did not drive the nails deep into the wood. We did not twist together a crown of thorns, nor did we press it into his head. We did not raise the cross high into the air to make it impossible for him to breathe. You and I did not strike him, nor did we spit on him. We also did not do anything to beat him. You and I did not whip him with the cat of nine tails. But it was for our cause. It was because of us that he went the way of the cross to be lifted up. Because we were like sheep who wandered. And he wished to draw us all unto himself. We are guilty of multiplying evils as countless as the sands by transgressing the commandments of God. We are guilty for the agony of which Christ was cumbered with by the nature of his baptism as a lamb upon whom all our sins were cast. Our hands and our feet are those who should be here bound and led captive to hell's gates. And yet there we see Christ being held as the prisoner and subject to man to the devil, to hell. We are the ones who deserved what Christ suffered for because it was the weight of our transgressions. But he would not have us carry it. He himself carries it. He carried the cross that was ours to bear. He was crushed by it for what was crushing us into the ground. He wore the twisted crown of our guilt and scorn and it pressed so deeply into his head. He was stripped of his clothes to bear our shame before the world. He was pierced for our transgressions, and his blood fulfilled the bloodthirst of the law of God. He has done what I could not do for myself. Long as I might, to save myself from my sin and my misery, I could not atone for my wrongdoings. For over 6,000 years, from Adam until now, mankind has not dropped a single coin into the coffer which could begin to pay off our ransom price. But there was a man, the only begotten Son of God, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ our Lord, who accomplished the salvation of mankind by the tree of the cross, that where death arose, their life also might rise again. And that the serpent who overcame by the tree of the garden might likewise by the tree of the cross be overcome. This, dear Christians, we have a name for. We call it mercy. God has shown you mercy. God has shown mercy to our fallen race and has rescued us by grace. The Father's only Son for sin has died. He has drank the bitter cup of scorn and dread. The wrath of God outpoured, he has consumed it all. And he has also crushed the ancient serpent's head. And now from this blessed cross, the tree of Jesus' shame, flows the water and the blood, the eternal life which we have in his name. To all the world outstretched, from east to west, north to south, He has given the tree of life with the endless fruit 
of God's forgiveness. Bring my soul out of prison, O Lord, that I may praise your name. This is our penitential cry to God, to have mercy upon us, lost and condemned creatures. God has sent the law to be proclaimed in order that trespasses would increase. The one that has knowledge of the law also can truly judge his wrongs, for he has an honest standard by which to measure his life. Our feelings, our hearts, even the standards which the world puts before us cannot be an honest source of measurement. They cannot teach us what is truly right and what is truly wrong. In fact, if we were to follow such guides, we would be quickly misled and may be brought into many false beliefs. For there are those who exist in the world that call what is good evil and what is evil good. Now, since it is often that the world judges good those who are mostly obedient to the law, we may also be led astray to think that obedience to the law of God would also render us righteous before him who judges all things. But it is not such in the kingdom of God. Obedience to the law, while good and right for us to do, has never produced an ounce of life, as our hymn, Salvation Unto Us, has, has said. It was a false, misleading dream that God his law had given, so sinners could themselves redeem and by their works gain heaven. The law is just a mirror bright to bring the inbred sin to light that lurks within our nature. As St. James writes, Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. If you have failed in one aspect, if you missed dotting one I and crossing one T, you are guilty of the whole transgression of the law. You see, dear Christians, there is no hope for us in the law of God. Though it reveals all good things for us to do, and our life, by being obedient to it, will never be boring, for there are always works which we can do to serve our neighbor. It nevertheless always accuses us of what we have done and the things which we have left undone and holds us to the highest standard in all creation, which is God's standard. And though it is often painful, the more and more that we put the law before us, the more we see how deep we have fallen into the pit. And like I said, while that is painful, it is perhaps the best thing that we can do. Because our praises 
which God brings forth from our hearts and lips to sing to him, come from knowing the depths of our depravity. The more that we become acquainted with the law of God, we may be more and more increasingly aware of why God had to have pity on us. Because before the law had been revealed to us, we were so unaware of just how far we had fallen that we were living in wicked ignorance. Hands and feet bound in hell. But now we see more clearly because God has given to us faith. To the Lord we now, knowing the depth of our sin and just how lost and condemned we really were, now we raise our sighs for mercy, our penitential cries. We sing like this, From depths of woe I cry to thee, and Savior, when in dust to thee. What we could not see without faith, now with faith we see. We saw where we made our bed. We saw what sort of a place of darkness we were living. We saw the prison of our own making. But now we cry out with David, To you, O Lord, I cry. To the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me, O Lord, my helper. Will the dust tell of the Lord's faithfulness? We are the dust. But God has redeemed us. He has brought us forth from the pit. And by the very act of his faithfulness, though we have not deserved an ounce of it, by grace he has saved us. The Lord has been our helper. He has brought our souls out from the prison of the devil and now entrusted into our hands is the ministry of reconciliation which has been given us from God. And it is this, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. You see, God has given to us the word of reconciliation, which is the foundation of our praise. We do not praise God for our faithfulness, as we have often failed. But we praise God that he did not base his promise on our works or on our steadfastness in the faith. But he solely based it on his faithfulness as a guarantee for us. It is called a promise. It is as David proclaims in Psalm 30. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. 
O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. In hell, it doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic status, your ethnicity, your background, your history, your job, how many assets you have in this life or don't have. You are there for one reason, and that is because you have not believed on the name of the only Son of God through whom we have all received reconciliation to the Father. We are there because the sins which he, have, which he has taken upon himself to the cross, we have refused such a payment. So God has given his church a ministry, an active ministry with a living word. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us, pleading with the sinful world that has fallen and bound in Satan's hands. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. But how, they say, How are we to be reconciled to God? And in that point, we may answer confidently. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for you, for us. That you and me and everyone might become the righteousness of God in him. It is because of what God has done for us. It is because he has drawn us up from the pit and restored us to life. Because he has healed us by his wounds, by his stripes. That is why we will praise his name forever beginning here, beginning now. But our worship will last into eternity as we tell of the faithful works of God who saved us, his people. And since I know that in him all that has stood against me every reason that I have to be one of those who go down to the pit has all been forgiven, forgotten. I shall praise him. For Christ our Lord said from the cross, it is finished.